Thank you very much, Andrew and Luigi. Appreciate the uh, passion and heart they bring to the music and the quality here. And uh, it is always a, a joy to be able to uh, preach after they sing. And, uh, and then I remember the early uh, days getting to play some for Christy when, when they were just coming into our lives and, and enjoyed that. And God's blessed you musically, so don't lose that. And, and glad to see all that, that is uh, happening here. I, I thought it was interesting, your pastor has mentioned about some of these men being in Bible college at the same time. Um, because Brother Hendricks was, Brother Lasseter, and uh, Brother Ben Springer as well. My son was uh, in their uh, time frame as well, who serves on our staff now. Um, and then uh, Dan as well was there at that time. And I was, I was thinking about that, that, you know, before that period of time, then I was at Baptist Bible College and there was a young Aaron Denson there as well, and which would be where the Lassiter's pastor, um, and then had some Springers there as well in Springfield. And so, of course, I, I was older than they were, but still uh, kind of that, that era of, of learning and training at the same time. And so it's neat to see that you see the, the different generations, and I'm just thinking it's going to really be neat to see Hadley and Bo in their generation as well, and to see Ben and, and uh, let's see, Graham, and I don't, I'm not going to get all of them. I'm not even going to try to get all of them. I was trying to, I'm trying to get the, the oldest, so let's see, Ben, who am I, Graham, and let's see, Gabe, and I'm missing one. If I'm going to get the, the top two of each family, who am I missing? Clark, that's right. And it's going to be neat to see that generation as well. I have confidence we will. Churches and ministry need to be generational. That's the reason I'm glad your pastor mentioned the music, that to see generations involved in the music and the young ones learning that. Church, just be sure that that's not just in the music. That needs to be in young people being called and these young ones growing up. And, and being involved and being in Bible college and that your, your generations are just beginning. And I'm not, I'm not saying it started now, but just in my affiliation with you that God does a generational work here at Canaan. And that means a lot of hard work on the parts of parents and grandparents to be sure that generation catches it. I, I love the statement. I heard a secular man made this statement, but I have really picked up on it and gone to seed on it maybe in some ways that when he said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And I heard that and I thought, you yeah, know, that sounds profound, but I just don't get the profundity of it in the moment. And yet realizing that a lot of people rely upon strategies to accomplish things, and yet the entities that accomplish the most, whether it's a team or a business, especially a church, is when there is a particular culture that is built. And a lot of people are, a lot of churches are relying on some strategy, some program to accomplish something, but it is a culture that is built. That is true in families as well. And there's a lot of parents that are relying upon this strategy or upon this strategy to get their kids to serve God. But kids are going to decide whether to serve God or not most of the time based on the culture of the home. And the children coming out of a home reveal the culture in the home. 
And many times, and I'm not preaching on the family, and I have no idea why I even got into all this much, but many times a, a, a family is relying on the strategy of the church. And that won't work. I'm not saying the church is not effective, but the church needs to be a part of the culture of the home. And, and a lot of times the home doesn't have a good culture of godliness in it. And the church, the, the family's relying upon the church and the church becomes a strategy. And, and so and I hope that what we saw on the platform in music and the culture that's being built in the music is being built in the homes in Canaan as well so that you can enjoy the fruit of what we're getting to see in, in the men here. And then I couldn't help but think as, as Brother Hendricks was talking about England, you know in the 1700s and the 1800s, you could not have convinced the people of England that in 2022 a man would stand in a pulpit in a country that they helped found and talk about England the way that he had to. If you could not have convinced them that somebody would stand in this place so far away and say, now I'm going to England and I'm going to try to, try to start a church there because the churches are now clubs and bars and theaters. You couldn't have convinced them because that was the, that was the focal point of, of religious expansion, not only the Roman Empire, but, but eventually what God did with missions through England. And you can't convince many Americans that one day somebody's going to be in another country talking about the United States of America the same way. We have to be serious about our business. Because what we're saying about England now, people are going to say about the United States of America one day, if the Lord tarries. It's one of the reasons that we cannot just be going overseas. We have to go to El Paso as well. Because our own country needs, we need overseas missions and, and we need missions within the United States of America. And we need missions in our own communities where our churches are planted. And then before we get to the message tonight, I just want to talk to you about this idea of a mindset here real quick. Your pastors use that terminology and I use it as well. And I love the idea of, of a mindset. What is meant by that could be best explained with, with vision, for example. So I don't have great vision and so I have glasses and, and so when I'm looking through these glasses, I can see pretty clear. But even at the moment, I can, I can be seeing these flags over here in, in the periphery of outside of the glasses, and none of that is clear. So there are areas that aren't clear because I'm not looking through the glasses, and I can also take them off, and then, and then nothing is clear. But you want to take a step up above that. For a few years, I had contacts. And contacts is, is better than glasses in the sense that when you put contacts in, everything you see is clear. There is no periphery. So you, you get to see clearly when they're in, but then you can take them out and then you don't see clearly. But many years ago for a Christmas present, the, the church gave me LASIK eye surgery. And I remember it was about a six second surgery. And once it was done, then I could see clear. Everything I saw was clear all the time. 
You couldn't take it out. You didn't have a periphery. It, it, it was the best. Now, it fades with age still, but a mindset is like LASIK surgery for God's truth in the mind. And that it gets at a level that you, that you see what the scripture says and you realize it's not just a truth. It is a way to think from the mind of God. And that we can get to that truth at a level in which it sets in the mind and it affects everything we see all the time. As opposed to a truth that we remember in a message and then we think about it for a while and, and then we go to the next truth, the next message and the next truth. But these truths need to reside in our minds in a way in which it affects everything we see all the time. And so that is what is meant by a mindset. I'm going to invite your attention to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus 16 I'm going to give you the next verse as well. I don't want your eyes to glaze over because every missions revival or every missions conference is going to have a message from 2 Corinthians 8. And I, I ask that you, you withhold judgment to think, okay, well, we've, we've heard everything. Well, you already have, um, but I hope that you will take a fresh approach in listening. I'll try to take a fresh approach in presenting it. So Exodus 16 and then you can hold your place there in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Let's stand together, Exodus chapter 16. In, in most of this chapter, we're talking about the manna that was given. I'm just going to zero in on a few verses, and then we'll explain most of the chapter here in a moment. But Exodus 16 and, and verse 16. This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, and omer for every man, according to the number of your persons. Take ye every man for them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so, and gathered some more, some less. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. And Moses said, Let no man leave of it till the morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was wroth with them." And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating. And when the sun waxed hot, it melted. Father, there's already been rich truth presented tonight in so many songs. And we have enjoyed those. We have rejoiced in those truths. And I'm thankful that we've been able to do that. We've tried to honor and praise you through all of that now. Now we become, in many ways, your audience, and you speak to us. And I pray that no, no member, no guest would sit in here tonight and just wait for something to strike them that would be novel or, or that would be interesting, but that every person would be open to your Holy Spirit speaking Lord, we want your purpose and will accomplished in this church this week. And that will only be done 
if every member is open to you doing that in their own heart. And so use the message tonight uh, to add to what you want to accomplish in this church this week. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So I want to rehearse the manna story here for a moment. So the Israelites are in the wilderness and they've had up times and down times and they're, they're at this point where they're wanting food. And you look at the first parts of chapter 16, um, you, get, you look at verse 2, for example, the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness and the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So they're, they're complaining that they had it better before. They're complaining that Moses is, is trying to kill them, and, and that was his whole motive and they've got, a, they've got a sorry attitude here and, and, and God and, and Moses talk back and forth here for the next several verses. And, and so God presents something to Moses to give to the people. And that's what comes in verse 11. And so let's be sure we understand what's taking place here. The Lord spake unto Moses saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel speak unto them saying, at even ye shall eat flesh, and in the morning ye shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am the Lord your God. So he's letting them know he's going to present to them a plan by which they can be convinced that God is God and that their God is the, the true God. He's going to do something miraculous for them, that they're going to have something to eat at at, at night and they're going to have something to eat in the morning. And so that's what he explains. So then in verse 13, and it came to pass that at even the quails came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay round about the host. And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness, there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. So the Lord is providing for them in this, in this really miraculous way and gives them this, this quail um, and, the, and the manna. And they, their needs are provided for in this, but the Lord wants to teach them something besides just that he's going to give them something to eat. He gives, a, he gives some detail here, beginning where we read in verse 16, and these details are important before we go to 2 Corinthians 8. So he says, this is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, and Omer for every man, notice this, according to the number of your persons, take ye every man for them which are in their tents, in, in his tent. And, and so he explains, you're going to go out and you're going to gather it. And you're going to gather however much you have according to the people in your tent. And if you have this many in your tent, you're going to gather this much. If you have this many in your tent, 
you're going to gather this much. And it's supposed to be just enough manna for the day for their tent. That's what he is explaining. According to his eating, the number of persons that is in your tent. So verse 17 says, and the children of Israel did so. And notice, this is logical. And gathered some more, some less. Well, why did some gather more? Well, they had more people in their tent. That's all he means. Some gathered less. Why did they get less? Well, because they had less people in their, their tent. It, it's simple math. So he, he's conveying that some of them gathered more and some less. But he says that so that we will understand the next verse. And when they did meet it with an omer, meaning according to the tent, a, a certain amount for every person in the tent, when they did meet it with an omer, here was the result. He that gathered much had nothing over. And he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. Meaning that this tent that had, had gathered a lot because they had several people in their tent, at the end of the day, they didn't have a whole bunch left over just because they had a lot, because they started with a lot. And then he says, then he says that he that had gathered little had no lack. So this tent, they didn't gather very much, but at the end of the day, they, they weren't lacking because they just gathered what they needed. All right, so, so it didn't matter that some gathered much and some gathered little. The whole point was to gather according to your tents and those that had a, a lot, they didn't have anything left over. Those that just had a little, they weren't still in need when the day was over. Everybody's need was met. All right, so then he, he continues with, with a little bit of a problem in verse 19. Moses said, let no man leave of it till the morning. This is an additional command that's given to them. And so verse 20, it tells us some of them didn't listen. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses. And here was the problem. Some of them left of it until the morning, meaning that they gathered more. And, and after they ate what they were supposed to for those in their tent, some of them had gathered more and, and they had some left over and God caused it to breed worms and it, it spoiled by the next morning. And it caused a stink and, and the stink made Moses mad. That's a pretty serious stink. If Moses gets mad... And so Moses thought, why am I having to smell all this? You're the ones that disobeyed. i got to smell this stink. Moses is upset at the stink. And so he's wroth with him. And, and it's pretty clear that's not what God said to do. If you're, if you're going to do that, it's going to stink up the place. All right. So all of this is relevant when we get to the text that we need. And, and so God made it where, where the sun would come up and it, it would melt it. If they had some that was left over, it, it was gone. It, it was horrible. It, it spoiled. And, and you've probably left on vacation at some point in time and maybe left something in the trash and you come back and, and it's like it's not a welcome home back from vacation because the, the stink is bad. Something spoiled. That's what happened here and so God is teaching them a lesson in hoarding their resources. He says, I, I want you to trust me. I, I want you to gather what you need. And, and what they did wrong, the, the only problem that is here is when those who gathered, gathered more 
than actually was needed. It wasn't wrong for some to have more. It wasn't wrong for some to have less. It was wrong to hoard. And so we need to go to 2 Corinthians 8 to understand what was in Paul's mind when he explains a particular principle, a mindset that he's wanting the church at Corinth to get. In 2 Corinthians 8, look at verse 13. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 13 Paul says, For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want, that there, be, that there may be equality. Notice this, as it is written, he that had gathered much had nothing over and he that had gathered little had no lack. So he's quoting what came from the story of the manna. And he knows that in their minds, they're going to think back to that story and understand the point that God was making with the children of Israel. And that, Moses, that, that Paul is trying to make the same point that Moses did. But now they're dealing with the situation that is is concerning the church at Jerusalem. So as a reminder, Paul has, has noticed the church at Jerusalem, which is the, you might say, the, the mother church. It was the, the church that Christ started. It, it's the, the church that is very key to everything else that happened. They are in need. And because of the need that they had, Paul realizes we need to take care of Jerusalem. They have taken care of us. So much of what we have is because of Jerusalem. And a lot is riding on that church doing well. Paul goes around and secures commitments from, from many of the churches that he had been involved with, some that he had helped plant. And he takes a commitment from them and, and conveys to them how important that ministry is in Jerusalem and says, now I'm going to come back in a year and I'm going to collect this. And their responsibility is on the first day of the week, they're going to come and they're going to bring the offerings that they had promised for the church at Jerusalem. And, and so when Paul is writing Corinth here, he has heard that they're not doing too good with what they promised for Jerusalem. And, and he's, he's pretty strong on them because when... When Paul went to Corinth and obtained a commitment from Corinth, he left Corinth and went to other churches and, and inspired these other churches and motivated these other churches based on what Corinth had said they would do. Now Paul potentially could have some egg on his face when he, he realizes that he, he can say to these, you know, he can say to Corinth, these other churches are doing what they said they were going to do based on your example, but you're not doing what you said you were going to do. So he's pretty tough on them, and he's trying to explain to them some of the principles at play here that they need to get straight in, in their mind. And so that's what is happening here. So notice, let's be sure we understand the, the, the mindset that's being, that's being proposed here. Verse 13, For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burden." Paul says, I'm not trying to shift the burden from Jerusalem to you. He says, when I'm trying to collect money from you, 
I'm, I'm not saying, okay, Jerusalem is, has this horrible need, and Corinth, you've got all this money, and so here's what we're going to do, Corinth. We're going to take all your money, and we're going to give it to Jerusalem, and so Jerusalem is no longer going to be burdened. Jerusalem is now going to have it easy, but now Corinth is going to be burdened because we shifted the burden from Jerusalem to Corinth. He says, that's not what I'm after. I'm not trying to, to burden you so that Jerusalem has it easy. That's what he says, for I mean not that other men be eased and ye be burdened. Evidently, some of them thought, well, you're, you're just trying to take all of our money and give it all to them. And so now we're not going to have any and now they're going to have money. And, he, and evidently, that's what they're thinking. He says, that's not what I mean. He says in verse 14, but by an equality. And he, he starts with this idea of equality, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want. What Paul was seeking was a God-ordained equality. That's what he's trying to convey here. It wasn't an equality of possessions. He wasn't doing the, the Robin Hood thing and, and saying, I'm going to take your possessions and I'm going to take enough of your possessions so that now, Jerusalem, you and Corinth, this is only right if you both have the same thing. He says, that's not, that's not what we're after. He had, so again, in verse 13, he had to clarify, I'm not trying to take everything from you, Corinth, and give everything to Jerusalem, because now you have the burden, and, and they have it easy. He says, but neither am I trying to say that I'm going to take, a, I'm going to take from you until you both have the same thing. We would refer to some of that as some form of, of socialism, maybe. And, and he... He, he wasn't doing that. He, he says, but by an equality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want. It was, he, he explains what he means by equality and he uses the word want. We need to realize that our term want doesn't mean what their term want meant. There it meant need. What they were in, what they were wanton, what they were in want of, what they had a need of. So he's not just saying, well, everybody gets what they want. Obviously, that's not what he's saying. He's talking about the need that they have. And he says what we're talking about is an equality of, of want, of the need that exists. That notice somebody had an abundance and somebody had a need. And he says, so here's what I mean by equality, that the person that has an abundance, that they could use their abundance to meet the need of the person who had the need. That's what he means by an equality. It was equality of need. So now this point, this one who had an abundance, they don't have quite as much as they had before, but they're not down to the point where they have a need. But the person that had a need... They don't have a need either because it was met by the abundance of the one who had the abundance. Do you understand what he means by equality? Does that kind of equality make sense? If you're not going to say amen, then at least do this. Amen. All right, good. I, I just I needed to be sure that, that somebody's awake there. Otherwise, I'm going to have Brother Autry start shouting again. And, and uh, I don't get as much shouting as the music does. I don't understand that. Maybe Brother Ingram does. Um, but so that the one in abundance doesn't lose everything. 
And by the way, don't just do that to trick me and scare me up here. I'm already on the verge of having a heart attack, you know, as it is. Don't do that to me. I, I can see that in your eyes. It's like, I'm going to give him that amen. I'm going to scare him there. Don't do that. So that the one, in, the one in abundance wouldn't lose everything and the one in need wouldn't gain everything. That's what he is trying to convey. The want and need of, of one would be met by the abundance of the other. But notice what else he says in verse 14. This is important. And this is why I made the point about England and America earlier, that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be a supply for your want. He says, Corinth, you better pay attention to this, because right now you have the abundance. Jerusalem has the need. But you might pay attention because the day may come when Jerusalem has the abundance and you're going to find yourself in need. And you're going, to, you're going to be thankful if you use your abundance to meet the need of another because they may be thinking about that when the time comes when they have an abundance and you have a need and you're going to be wishing that they had a better heart than you did. Because the tables have a way of being turned over time. History takes care of that. That's when we get to verse 15. As it is written, He that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that had gathered little had no lack. So the, the whole point here, this is why the hoarding idea of Exodus 16 is important. The only reason that someone that had an abundance would not use that abundance to meet the need of the person in need is because they were hoarding. Because they, they were just trying to gather all they could and, and nobody was trying to strip them down to nothing. They were simply the use of their abundance to give to the one in need and Paul is he's, he's trying to say to take them back to that time that, that, that those who had a, a lot, they didn't have anything, they didn't have anything left over. It wasn't that they didn't have anything, they didn't have anything left over, and those that had, had gathered little, they had no lack. So Paul wasn't, he was just trying to clarify. You need to be sure that you understand that you have been blessed. Use that abundance to meet the need of Jerusalem. Now, several years ago, I had the opportunity to go to India. A missionary that's out of our church, Brother Sam Thomas. I went over there and, and it was an eye-opener to me. Many of you have been in, in third world countries or, or parts of even even advanced countries that have some tough areas. And I, I, one of the scenes I remember most is driving down the highway and watching elderly women. Basically, you'd be talking about grandmothers who would be alongside of the road. And this is what their living consisted of. They were those, the ones who broke up the rocks. And they would have a collection of large rocks on one side of them as they sat there alongside the road. And they would have a, a hammer and sometimes a chisel. And on the other side of them, they would have a small mound of small rocks. And their life was to take these larger rocks and break them down so that these smaller rocks could be used for other purposes. I remember 
realizing that that's the existence of, of a class of people in India. But what stuck out even more than that was the last day we were coming back from the southern tip of India. We were driving in, in the car, Lisa and I, and, and uh, Brother Jason Jett and his wife, Aaron, and then Brother Thomas and, and his wife. We came up over the, the crest of this highway, and, and there were some elephants in the middle of the road with these men in elaborate costumes on top of these ele elephants, and they were turning off of the highway onto a side road. We, we passed and, and went up, and I asked Brother Thomas, I said, would you mind parking so we can at least just see what's going on? And he mentioned something about, you, you may not want to see all of that. And, 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 but we had, had our cameras and a video camera with us. And, and so I said, oh, I'd love to get some footage of, of whatever's going on. So we parked. By the time we got back, the, the two leading elephants had turned onto the road. But behind these two elephants was a, a truck, a flatbed truck. And had the, had the cab on it and, and, the, and the bed extended a ways. But on this bed, going from the back of the, the flatbed, was a, a two telephone poles that were kind of telescoping over the bed of the truck. And so the, these telephone poles extended beyond the front of the truck, but high in the air. And from each telephone pole were six large hooks. And on those hooks on each telephone pole was a man with those hooks in him, two going through the skin of his shoulder, two going through the bottom of his back, and two hooks going through his thighs. And this truck driving along and, and hitting these bumps as these, these men were jarred with these hooks. Behind the truck was a group of men with these small spears pierced through their bodies. And I, I remember one particular man, after we had taken pictures and counted, counted over a hundred spears going through his body as he marched in this procession. And, and various forms of all of this, but it, it didn't stop there because behind these men were what appeared to be their sons, and boys maybe seven, eight, nine years old, who not having near as many, but watching their fathers and these men in front of them, they understood what generational meant because they were following the generation of their fathers with spears going through their cheeks in one side and out the other. And I, I mean, I, we were... I was taking pictures, Brother Jason was taking video, and I mean, even now when I go back and look at that, I'm just amazed at what takes, what takes place there. And, and, and what would happen even behind the, the boys then would be some younger girls, and, and they didn't have the spears going through them, but they were dancing trance-like to this beat of a drum as they came behind and then behind them were those who had um, 
in, in, in this processional that carried these carts. And as they would pass by a house, the people that lived in that house would take off of a small altar, whatever it is they were going to offer to that God. And they would take off of the altar in, in their small driveway or their yard, and they would take it out and place it on this cart as an offering to that God. And it was amazing to me that here is a God in India that demands that its subjects pierce themselves to please him. And here I lived in America and knew about a God who pierced himself for me so that I wouldn't have to go through that. And how they had it so backwards. And they didn't comprehend. They didn't understand all of that. So I'm on the airplane going back over the ocean and just trying to make sense of all this and thought, you know, God, in light of, of those grandmothers alongside of the road breaking these rocks and these boys having to, to pierce themselves, here I am, I'm going to go home to the United States of America and I've got a nice house, I've got a nice car, I've got so many, I got so many clothes, I've got so many suits and, and shoes and, and I've got... I've got nice things in, in our home and nice furniture and appliances. God, it just seems that I need to go back to the United States of America and, and just sell everything that I have and send it to India so that they can have something so the gospel can be spread. And I happen to be preparing to preach and in this very section. It's like the Lord helped me to see through this. Wayne, that's not why I put you in the United States of America. I put you there so you could have an abundance. And so that you would continue to take of that abundance and constantly use it to meet the needs of those that have the needs. Because if you sell everything that you have and you get rid of it and you give it to them, then somebody over there is going to have more and you're not going to have anything else to help the problem. And it helped me to realize maybe why the United States of America is blessed right now. And why you're blessed. Why you have maybe not everything that you want. But compared to many of them, you have an abundance. Paul told Timothy, he said, Timothy... I want you to charge them that are rich in this world, not rich in your community, not rich by comparison of your congregation. Rich in this world, if you take the average world wage, there are probably youth in here that make more than the average world wage. There will be kids in here who may get allowances more than what a lot of people in our world actually get in a week's time. That God has blessed us in the United States of America with an abundance. And he wants us to take of our abundance so that we have the opportunity that it's okay for you to have more than somebody in India you don't have to feel guilty that you have a nice house. 
You don't have to feel guilty that you have a nice car. Where you ought to feel an extreme amount of guilt is when you won't take of that abundance and say, I'm going to, I'm going to take of what God has blessed me with and I am going to help meet the need of those in another country so that somebody can go to England and help them whereas they may not be financially in distress, they are spiritually in distress. And the day will come that they would give up every possession they had if somebody would just come dip the, 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 their finger in some water and give them just a, something to cool their tongue. It's not possessions. It's being sure that, that a family in Cameroon can have their need met, particularly of the gospel. Because Americans, Americans in churches like this, they would refuse to hoard. Because they would realize, Lord, I'm so thankful that I was born in America, not in Cameroon. And I'm not going to hoard what I have. Thank you, God, for letting me have a nice house. Thank you for letting me have a nice car. But I guarantee you, I will be involved in our missions program because you have allowed me at this point in time in world history to be born, to be in America at a time, even if the economy is a little bit awry, it's nothing like what so many of them go through. And, and that we would say, God, out, out of gratitude for, for, from you and the recognition of their need, I will take of my abundance. Lord, thank you that you're not taking everything from me, but forgive my wretched soul if I don't take some of what you have blessed me with and give, and give abundantly to meet their need. Can I remind you, this is a bigger truth than money. This applies to more than money. This, this is what makes it a mindset. It applies to time. There are times in your life when you will have more time than somebody else. You will have an abundance of time and somebody else has a need. Maybe that's retirement. Maybe that's between jobs. Maybe you get to work the kind of a job where you don't have to work as many hours as somebody else at Canaan Baptist Church. Or you, you have this, this, an abundance at this point in time in your life. You have an abundance of time and you have a church and people in the church who find themselves in need. And God says, instead of, I'm not going to just take all your time and take your whole life and expect you to give everything. But I am going to expect, realize that you, you do, you can work in some abundance of your time and use that to meet the needs of others. Because how would you, how would you like it to be where you make $2 an hour in another country and, and you have to work however, however much throughout the week that you have to just to be able to survive, to have enough to buy food, to have a little bit of food. I mean, there are so many so many blessings that God gives us, whether it is in time you take men that are ladies that are in retirement and there are many that are going to go take of their abundance of time and they're going to use it just to spend it on whatever they want to spend it on. Paul said, you know what a biblical equality is? Is that when you have an abundance even of time, 
that you would give it to a church that has a need or people in the church that have a particular need. You may find that there are times you have an abundance of abilities. One of the neat things about a church, one of the things that enables a church to operate and members of a church to operate is there are those that have an abundance of abilities, maybe some technical skills, and, and God has blessed them with the, the health to be able to use that skill to make a living for their family, but yet they have some skill left over. It's not all used on their family, and then a church is able to benefit because a church has a need in that area. There's a lot of people that, well, I have this ability, but the church ought to just have to pay for it like everybody else does. Well, God gave you an abundance. How would you like for him to turn the tables? I mean, just like that, he can have it where you can't use that ability. And you're going to be begging somebody else that has that ability to use it for you. Because he says, you know, you ought to take of your abundance while you have it and use it to meet the need of another because the day could come when you're going to be the one in need and they're going to have the abundance. And you're going to be hoping they have a better heart than, than maybe you had at that point in time. You know, there's going to be times where you have an abundance of encouragement. Where life's great for you. And you can get up in the morning and you don't face hardship. You, you, maybe you have an abundance of health and you have an abundance of circumstances where you're realizing, man, God is just so good right now. And we know he's always good, but there are just those times when we get up and we're not facing such challenge and, ch and such difficulty. You, you, your family might be complete and your marriage good and, and things good with your children. And you realize there are, there are families, there are broken families that need some encouragement. They need somebody to help them feel like a family. They need some help with their children. They need some help maybe in, in just helping them with their marriage. And when you have an abundance or maybe they're just discouraged, they're depressed about so many things happening in, in their life and that is a problem. And God has given you an abundance of a, of a wonderful time in your life and a spirit and encouragement. And you ought to use that as often as God reveals the need for you to give that to somebody who needs, has, is in need of that spirit and in need of that encouragement. We, 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 could, take, we could take so many directions in, in this. Just, just allow it to be a mindset that applies to everything. The, the, the fact is we... We need to recognize that there are the times of abundance and there are the times of need. And as long as God puts us in the place of abundance, it is meant to meet the need. But I want to finish with this. Remember what the hoarding did? You noticed whenever they didn't use their abundance to meet a need, it stank up the place. It spoiled the people that had it. Came to a point where they couldn't even stand it themselves. And Moses was angry and he was wroth with them. The fact is, you, you, take, you take Americans who have so much and they don't recognize that God gave them that much to meet this need. Sometimes those are the families that end up stinking 
You, you can go to places in Stillwater, the richest parts of Stillwater. You try to present the gospel to them. You, you try to go knock on a door and just, and just talk to them about the Lord. You're going to find some of the rudest people around. They don't have it. They're, they're self-sufficient. They don't need anything. And, and, they, and they can have some pretty rotten attitudes. You ever met a teenager with too much time on their hands? Taking it, have the afternoon to themselves. And, and we, we have whole social programs just to, to, to take care of youth that have too much time on their hands because when they do, all they can do is spend their time playing video games or, or watching TV. And, and over time, their attitude just begins to stink. Or, or, or youth that end up having everything given to them. Some of you are going to face it here in about six weeks. You're going to see it. Opening present after present after present. And, and then you notice within a day or two, they just don't have the same spirit they did before. They were like, they, they knew Santa was watching before this, but now they don't care, you know. After this, and we got all, all that we want. We don't have to worry about it now. Abundance stinks up an attitude. And it can stink up a church. If you get enough members who say, I'm so glad to be an American. I love my flag. I love the fact, God, thank you so much for letting me be born here. But we begin to stink up the place. If we decide the reason God allowed us to be born in America and blessed us, was because we deserved it. We don't deserve it any more than anybody in any other country. If I could end with Aesop's fable of the goose and the golden egg. You know, this goose is producing these eggs and and boy, it's it's great. Go out and a golden egg and this is amazing, this is great and and sells it and gets a lot of money for it and next day he goes and, and boy, gets a gets another golden egg and he just realized, man, this is a special goose that that we have here and, and finally decides, man, I, I want to get all that I can out of this and, and actually goes and, and slays the goose so that, so that he can get all of the eggs out that he can and he slays the goose and doesn't find one and he's even killed the source. He has, has no source for that anymore. And it's supposed to be a, a lesson there for us that hoarding will only make us make some terrible decisions and terrible mistakes. And we end up, maybe God would consider taking his hand off America for, for other reasons as well. But because his own people wouldn't use of their abundance to meet the need of others.